You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our very first edition of Hot Stove for 2021. Finally, we get a chance to say goodbye to a long 2020 year and look forward to an exciting season with more talented young players on their way to the big leagues in a Mariners uniform. Hi again, everybody. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And Gary has stoked the fires of the hot stove with some great guests to kick off the new year. Coming up in the first hour, we're going to visit with Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto and talk all things baseball. Looking back on the 2020 season and looking forward to 2021. In the second hour of Hot Stove, we're going to talk with Mariners first baseman Evan White, who in his rookie season last year won a gold glove. One of a few rookies to ever win a gold glove in the big leagues, their first year in a big league uniform. How about that? We'll also visit with infield coach Perry Hill. He's got to be thrilled with J.P. Crawford and Evan winning gold gloves. We're going to visit with Coach Perry Hill, and we're also going to visit with longtime beat writer Greg Johns from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. Greg is retiring after many years of covering Major League Baseball and the Seattle Mariners. Gary Hill, I can't wait for the start of spring training. Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year to you. It's great to see you. This is a little different for us. Usually we're recording these in in our studios at our flagship at 710, but this is a different look. We're actually doing the show from the ballpark, which is great. It is fun (laughs) to be here, although the roof is open, so it's just pouring on the field. But what a great sight. The grass looks perfect. It looks it's amazing to be here, and it really makes you want baseball to get here, right? Exactly. It's great. Coming up next, we're going to visit with Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto right after this timeout. Here's the pitch on the way. Breaking ball, swing, and a fly ball. Right center field and deep. Moore going back. Lewis going back. Lewis with a leap, and he makes the catch at the top of the wall in right center field. Holy smokes. What a catch by Kyle Lewis. Justin Turner way back into the gap, and with a full head of steam, Kyle going back to the wall at the top of the fence, brings it back. What a play by Lewis, one away. And welcome back to our first hour of Hot Stove 2021. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill, and our very special guest here in the first edition of Hot Stove is uh, Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto, beginning his sixth season as the GM of the ball club. Here's the guy that stokes the fire of the, the hot stove to get the burning embers going for what we hope is going to be a hot pennant race in the American League West this year. Jerry, welcome to our first edition of Hot Stove, and uh, thank you very much. Happy New Year, number one, and what kind of offseason has it been uh, for you the last few months? Well, first, Happy New Year. It's a, It's been a decidedly warm stove. <laughs> I guess it's, it's not a flaming fire yet. Yeah, we are We are typically <laughs> pretty active. You know, we're one of those teams that, that generally does, you know, stoke the embers and, and you know, keeps it interesting through the offseason. This season, this offseason's moved at a, at a slow pace. And yeah. And I think we all, to a certain degree, expected that, you know, coming off of the, the 2020 season and, and a lot of the struggle with, with COVID-19 and, and not knowing uh, a, a lot about what the, the forecast looks like for 21. But, you know, as we sit here, we have done, we the Mariners have done, I think, some of what what, what we plan in terms of improvement in our bullpen. Uh, we added more young talent to our system overall. And, you know, we're geared up. We're planning on going to spring training on time and, 
and starting a season with with what we think is going to be an exciting group of young players that you got a chance to look at for the first time in 2020 who are going to get a couple of extra boosts from in the system Mm -hmm. and from guys that we've acquired over the last six to nine months and you know we're excited about the the group we're going to run out there last year was a year where you couldn't plan for i mean this it was in all of our lives a, a very strange years for all the obvious reasons and you had a plan did last year affect the big picture plan in terms of competitive window and that sort of thing it also affected my restaurant hopping. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. But, yeah, I mean, it affected life, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and I did. I think it did for 30 clubs. And and we had to take a, a look at our – what we forecast was coming into 2021 with the belief that in a two-year period we were going to be able to add advanced-level prospects mm-hmm. or, or young major league players as we reset our roster. And this dates back to, to the end of 2018 – and and we thought that the second half of 2020 in a normal 162 game season would provide us the platform to watch those young players really grow because that's usually what happens three 400 plate appearances for the hitters right. you know a hundred-ish innings pitched for the for the pitchers and you start to see that first big step and you know we thought that would happen midpoint of last season and lo and behold we wound up playing a 60 game season. What we couldn't have expected is that for the most part, those same young players that usually take that big step forward in, in, in that prescribed fashion, you know, history tells you, they took that step forward anyway. And, yeah. and we saw in the second half, a lot of those young guys with significantly fewer reps really did start to show that level of improvement. And, you know, while we believed at the beginning of this that 2021 would be the year where we could really step into that contending window. We're going to be a little more conservative in how we view that. We still think that we're improving. We do think that we have a chance to be on the back end of the, the of contention for a postseason spot, one of those wild card spots, if things break in the right way for us. But we want this season to be about the continued development of the young players and and perhaps by the midpoint of this season, before we get to, to the traditional trade deadline, yeah. we can see that big step that leads us into a really exciting stage in Mariners baseball. Even though, Jerry, last year was a shortened season, just 60 ball games, I think you learned so much about your organization, especially some young players. Kyle Lewis, we'll talk a lot about Kyle Lewis coming up here in the next few minutes, the American League Rookie of the Year. But, but Dylan Moore, what, what stood out for you? Uh, about the 2020 season last year to propel you into 2021? Well, I, th- I think the resiliency of our players is the, the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, th- that group of players, not, not just us, the, you know, the Mariners, it was, it, was, it was the Mariners, it was the players at our alternate site, and it was times 30. You know, it was right. 30 teams in the league. There have never been a, a, a class of Major League Baseball players that had to deal with what this group had to deal with and and the, the hurdles that they had to hop and, you know, playing with masks on and, and, and the, the different types of distancing that we, you know, we, we had to implement. Yeah. And, and the players did a wonderful job of adhering to, to the game plan and sticking, uh, sticking to the rules and, and, and obeying the protocols. And seeing that kind of resiliency, that kind of discipline from our group was was phenomenal. 
and and then watching players improve in a, in a time where you just weren't getting the reps is yeah. it's a it's the only way that I've ever known that you get better at something is if you study it and and you practice it. Mm-hmm. And our guys really didn't have the ability to practice it, but through sheer focus, the intensity of our work days was they were shorter work days, but the intensity of those work days was phenomenal and. What stands out to me is how much better such a you know a young group got without really having all of the reps that would normally be available to them. It's funny that you mentioned uh, the challenges from last year. I go back and forth on whether it would be harder for a rookie being the first time you're in the big leagues and you have everything else going on or a veteran where everything was so different last year. I, I can't decide who it was harder on rookies or veterans last year. I guess it was hard on everybody is probably the answer. It probably is, but I would I would say that the the rookie not knowing, and this is one advantage that we may have had, the rookie not knowing what to expect, right? Coming into this environment, I do think that it allowed for a little bit of an easier transition, especially not having to go on the coast to coast trips, mm-hmm. not the the playing in front of you know roughly cardboard yeah. crowds yeah. It was was frozen I thought, faces in time it really was <laughs> yeah. uh, among them my family but, yeah. Yeah. You know, i had my cat on we uh you know um, in that type of environment it did allow for for some struggle to occur and the players not to feel like the world was crashing on mm. them because the, you know one of the the things that makes you know transitioning hard for a young player is when you know you've disappointed that crowd when the crowd reacts in a negative way when you're getting that that negative feedback yeah. in the loop that just doesn't it didn't happen in 2020 and and I do think that that allowed our players to focus on what they could control in a different way than they might in in a normal environment and you know and I don't know if that was ideal because they also lost out on the adrenaline that, yeah. that can push you from a crowd but there was there was some small advantage with the young team that I think probably hurt the veteran team. You know, the the older player who'd been around it, who's made these adjustments, they come in and they thrive on mm-hmm. on the 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 energy of the crowd. The young guy may have actually benefited in a moment from coming in, and and it's a and I don't know. That's just a me throwing out an opinion yeah. on a on a you know. Me, perhaps a cardboard theory. It is, <laughs> it, 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 I do think that there was some small advantage to a team like us who was graduating young players to the big leagues for the first time rather than a built-out veteran-laden club who is probably deflated by not having the energy behind them. Yeah, totally agree about the energy. We're sitting at T-Mobile Park here and looking out in left center fields where Kyle Lewis made that incredible catch in the game against the Oakland A's, Ramon Laureano, Hits what is going to be a grand slam home run, but Kyle gets to the wall, jumps about four feet over the wall, and makes the catch. Imagine what the adrenaline would have been like for him, hmm. and it was outstanding. You know, hopping in up and down, up and down with with no fans in the ballpark. Imagine with forty thousand fans here at T-Mobile Park would have been like for Kyle Lewis, who had an incredible year, the American League Rookie of the Year. Congratulations to Kyle Lewis, burst onto the scene in September of twenty. 19 home runs in six of his first 10, 10 games. And then his first swing of the year last year hits a home run off of Justin Verlander. What what did you see from Kyle Lewis that he took from 2019 into 2020, Jerry? Confidence, in a word, confidence. And, and, and I do think that if I had to, to speak on behalf of all young players in the league, that's what they're looking for is that confidence. And some show up on the, the day they get here, they have it. 
and they know they fit. Some need to find it and wade out into the water and know that it's okay. And yeah. and I think Kyle in in the September of 2019. He had a fine season in Double A that year, but not a season that jumped off the the page. He had a nice on base percentage, but most importantly, he he took his reps. He played defense and he played every day. He showed up in in September that year and just started crushing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he it, it was it was the home runs. It was to right center. It was big time exit velocity. Yeah. He was doing the things that that high-end, middle-of-the-order bat prospects do. And, you know, this is a guy who was the Golden Spikes Award winner as the college player of the year who did hit home runs and th- throughout his life. That's what he did. And we put him in an environment where he, where he thrived. And when he came in in spring training of uh, – the first spring training down in Peoria, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have a, a first – spring training that really jumped out you know he played well he hit the ball hard he didn't have a lot of luck he hit homers and and it looked a lot like you know kyle lewis 2019 september he's got power he hits the ball hard we, we got to get to the point where there's some consistency mm-hmm. there he came back for that summer camp and there was a different confidence to kyle lewis than really than i have seen since we drafted him back in 2016 he was running around he in the outfield. He looked like a, a kid. He looked yeah. like he did when he was first drafted before the horrific injuries. And he was bouncing around like crazy. And the, the power that he exhibited, and you guys saw it mm-hmm. in the summer camp, it was every day hitting balls in the upper deck, hitting balls, I mean, live BP, you know, smoking balls. And then in the games, I, I want to say it was like seven days in a row that he hit home runs. It was like the, you know, yeah. Dale Long, Don Mattingly. Exactly. Summer. <laughs> yeah, close but, to it. You know, the, the, the confidence just jumped off yeah. the page. The confidence with, you, with which he was running around in the outfield, the, the confidence with which he showed when he got in the batter's box. Then it didn't matter who he was facing. And perhaps the biggest smile I flashed all year long was on opening day when that first at bat, he I mean, it, it felt like he hit that ball 700 feet <laughs> off of Justin Verlander, yeah. but it was Justin Verlander. Uh, yeah. You know, it was the Cy Young Award winner on opening day and the, 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 the big stage, the defending American League champs, and he hit the ball out of the ballpark. And... And uh, and you could see in the in the moment the chest just kept getting bigger, and he believed in himself. and And that's step one. Uh, his talent's never been in question. It's it's off the charts big, and and we got to see that in a, in a major way over these sixty games. You know, when I think about Kyle Lewis, I, I thought going into last season, I wondered would the season be long enough to answer questions. And I thought about it from your perspective, like are. are is it enough of a sample size for some questions to be answered? And I think about Kyle Lewis along those lines because one of the questions I think going into the season was, could he be a center fielder? We're going to see him in right field. And man, that was one of the questions yeah. in my mind that was absolutely answered. Yes, he can absolutely be a center fielder. I, I mean, to, to Rick's point, yeah. I mean, just that one play yeah. in left center field, it, well. you walk away thinking there's no reason he can't play center right. field. Right. Uh, Kyle does so many positive things, and you know, he plays defense. He hits the ball far. He's a, what he did last year in terms of just spreading out and taking effectively taking what the pitcher of the defense would give him when when runners were in scoring position. Yeah. Did a very it really hit like a veteran hitter, and and I think now he understands that he can go out there and he can take that approach and still hit the ball out of the ballpark, mm, yeah. and and it doesn't have to just be filleting something to to right field or throwing something back through the middle. He's you know, he's he waded into the water and now he knows. 
he really increased his his walk rate in a meaningful way uh and he's always had a good idea of the strike zone we've talked Kyle's going to strike out some and mm-hmm. and I think the that's the trade-off that you give to get the big high-end power and that's the case with most guys like that as he ages I think that number will come down yeah. because he will learn the league and he will learn what he's capable of but you know what he has done and and refining his game and what we were able to to determine by in this 60 game schedule we didn't get to see it all you know you see highs and lows for players especially young players and and it does it's not linear it, it yeah. it's not a it's, it, it doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like a, a steady slope mm. upward towards stardom it it usually has a bumps. couple of big dips yeah. and bumps <laughs> and bumps in the road yeah. man looks more like my cardiogram <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, that's that was the, that was the season for Kalu and for Evan White and it, like you will see the, the the big drops and the high upsides and and eventually you get to that the steadiness and yeah. that's when they start their their trek toward being you know the, that consistent star yeah. quality leader on championship teams. He was so much fun to watch and all the young players last year and more are on the way visiting with. Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto here on Hot Stove 2021. We'll be back with Jerry right after this timeout. The stretch and the 2-0 pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field. Profar going back and this one is gone. Goodbye baseball. Dylan Moore ties it up. Here in the bottom of the eighth inning, it's the Mariners 3, the Padres 3. Dylan Moore's eighth home run of the year. and This is a line shot into the lower deck and left here at Petco Park. And again, welcome back to Hot Stove 2021. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and our special guest, Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. And Jerry, uh, looking back at the 2020 season, we talked about Kyle Lewis. What a great story. You had a number of great stories uh, last year as these kids had a chance to play. But you had a player in 2019 who played all over the place and did a heck of a job. And then last year, Miss Summer Camp, Missed the first few games of the season. He was here, but didn't play because he tested positive for COVID-19. Dylan Moore had one heck of a year for your ball club, again playing all over the place. Number one, what did you see from Dylan last year, and is he going to find himself a home this year at, uh, at second base going into this season? Well, I guess in reverse, I hope so on the last one. He, Dylan deserves the opportunity to, to play every day. And second base is the spot that we have that, that jumps out and and is the best fit for him. He's a good defender no matter where you put him. Uh, whether that's at second base, he's a good defender at shortstop. He's played. He's done an admirable job in the outfield when we've put him out there. Uh, you could argue he's one of the handful of best center fielders on our team. It, and it gets lost in the wash if you remember very early in his career when he had that the moment that third base against the Three Red consecutive plays. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll, I'll forever remember that moment in time as no way that just happened. But yeah. it's a he is such a much better player uh, defensively than than if that you know burned on your brain. He's his versatility is a strength. Uh, he's played everywhere on the field. And, you know, throughout his minor league career, it, Dylan, we signed Dylan as a major league free agent without ever having had a day of major league service. He had he came through uh, a number of different organizations, I think yeah. was originally a Texas Rangers draft choice. I want to say sixth or seventh round mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, went by way of, of trade and, and minor league uh, free agency to, to the Atlanta Braves, Milwaukee Brewers. 
and uh, eventually landed uh, in six-year free agency, and we brought him on with the belief that his versatility was minimally going to give him uh, some utility, some, you know, 25th man value on a 25-man roster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we really appreciated the athleticism more than anything else. The other thing we appreciate is that Dylan generally hit the ball hard. And, you know, through his minor league career, he hit the ball hard. He had one, you know, what I would say is uh, atypical minor league season for him. Otherwise, go look at what he did in the minor leagues, and it's very similar to what he did last year in, in the big leagues. He's always had that talent level, and he's always hit the ball hard. He's been a good judge of the strike zone. He runs well. He's, he's an excellent base runner. So you, know, you give him the opportunity, and in 2019, like most young players, when they get their first opportunity, it looks a little bit more like that cardiogram. You know, sometimes it's three errors, sometimes it's three hits, and and you know, and Dylan wasn't uh, immune to the, to that normal progression. And then last year, he came in, he had more confidence, and he was sizzling the ball. I I do think that there was, you know, he made a subtle change in his swing approach, and his bat just spent more time in the strike zone. There's a, you know, he had a, what you would call in 2019 was an in-and-out swing. And, you know, and there were times where he could get overwhelmed by velocity up in the zone. And, and you saw a lot of swing throughs in 2019 from Dylan Moore. This year, we saw a better load a cleaner bat path with a bat that spent more time in the strike zone and as a result, yeah. more contact. And when Dylan makes contact, whether it be 2019 when it, when he hit 200 or last year when he was one of our best and perhaps most consistent offensive players, he hits the ball hard. When it's time to, to put yeah. barrel on ball, he does it hard. And he did that last year. And, yeah. and we feel like that being he's, – he's in his late 20s. He's had the opportunity now to play over two major league seasons – He's made steady progress. The worst case scenario for us is we have one of the best and most versatile utility men in the league. The 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 upside is that we have a regular player who can settle in at second base and just be a constant force for us, yeah. who we think can hit near the top of the lineup. Tied to that, we saw Ty France a little at second, a little at third. That is some kind of segue. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, how about that? Ty, Ty. Yeah, it's good. I, what he, we saw from him was exciting with the bat. I mean, it, it, he came as advertised. He can hit. What do you envision his season looking like and his fit? We, we think Ty's going to play every day. Uh, it's a when we acquired him, he was one of the bats. We had, a, and I, I know I mentioned this to to you guys before. We had tried to acquire Ty France a number of times, uh, <laughs> and, and you know we are active. Uh, the, you know the live wire of trying to uh, you know attach me and AJ Preller. <laughs> we, we were uh, separated at birth, but you know Ty France, we tried to to acquire on multiple occasions. Really didn't have any luck. Uh, as soon as we acquired him, this is a, a fun story. You know, we acquired him right at the deadline or shortly before the deadline. Uh, we fielded four phone calls between acquiring him and the clock ticking down from contending teams that wanted us to then spin him and trade him to them. Really? Uh, and, you know, it's a, he was fairly in demand. He can hit. And guys that can hit, they play. And, <laughs> you know, Ty France, he can hit. He's always hit. He hit in college. He hit yeah. throughout the minor leagues. And, and not just hit, hit a lot. And, you know, we, when we acquired him, this was we were we were very close to getting a deal done. We had just left San Diego, where he played well in a series against mm-hmm. us. The Padres went on to Colorado, and and uh, they were in the midst of a series that, that had playoff implications for them. 
And in that series, Ty France, in the first two games of that series, I want to say had six hits. And and I, I turned out Justin Hollander and I were, were working through the deal with, with AJ and the Padres group. And, and I turned to Justin and I said, could they not have gone anywhere but Colorado? <laughs> yeah. it, like the, Ty France, who was at the time hitting about three and a quarter or whatever it was, and uh, and Colorado in the yeah, middle of the right. summer, it, it, you're asking for. I said at some point they're going to look up and say, "How can we trade this guy?" <laughs> exactly. We might change our much. mind here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, Ty, he, we think a phenomenal offensive player. He's got a good idea of the strike zone. He uses the whole field to hit. Uh, like Dylan Moore, he's versatile enough to play at a variety of different positions. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have Dylan's natural ease with the glove, but we feel like given the opportunity through a normal offseason and full spring training with Perry Hill, that we can really help him uh, on the defensive side. also feel like he somewhat gets a bad rap because he's never done anything on the defensive side to generate the type of reputation he has as a bat-only player. Mm-hmm. He's not a bat-only player. We feel like he's a guy who can play some second. He can play some third. He has played first base. He's a good athlete, uh, and he can hit. Uh, I think the worst-case scenario is, again, you have a versatile guy who's an above-average offensive player. The best-case scenario is you've got a regular, and we think he can be a regular as we move forward uh, You know, through our in our growth. He's, again, t- he's going to play this year at 27 years old. We think his best position is third base. And, and ultimately, his ability to be an everyday player will be linked to the progress that he makes defensively over these next, let's call it, 12 to 24 months. And we think it's going to be a positive outcome for him. This year, he'll get the opportunity to play every day. It's going to be some smattering of an occasional day at third to give Kyle a day off, mm-hmm. you know, a day or two at second base, and a lot of days at DH to keep the bat going. Mm-hmm. And and continue to acclimate him to major league pitching. Uh, I, I think he's done a pretty good job of, of acclimating on his own. But we'll give him those everyday reps and, and keep him sharp enough defensively and working with Perry, working with Manny to, to, to develop his defensive skill set so that when the time to play defense full-time comes, he's prepared to do it. That was a heck of a trade, Jerry, because you get Ty France, who had an impact on the ball club in the second half of the season after the deal, but you also acquired Luis Torrens, who did a heck of a job behind home plate and got a lot of t- playing time back there with, uh, of course, the injury to Tom Murphy and everything, and the trade of Austin Nola, which made that trade possible. But then you also acquired Taylor Trammell, very talented young outfielder, one of the top prospects in baseball, and also Andres Munoz. And I'm looking at this kid's numbers, coming off Tommy John surgery, throwing 100 miles an hour a couple of years ago, Two saves in the big leagues, and he had a number of saves in the minor leagues. Great walk-to-strikeout ratio. He's only 20, 21 years of age. What? And, and you know, you, you want to beef up that bullpen, of course. What can you tell us about uh, Andres Munoz? What are we going to see from this kid? Uh, Andres, he was my first sounding board. Uh, one of my personal growth missions through this COVID shutdown was to, to learn Spanish. Really? Yeah. I've not done a great job. <laughs> Say something <laughs> in Spanish. Uh, yeah. Gracias. <laughs> so you got it though. <laughs> I've not done a great job of it, but I but I have been uh, for about two hundred days. I'm dialed into my Duolingo okay. and I'm right. doing my classes and 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 I work with with the curriculum that our oh, the, our academic uh, group down in the Dominican comes up with, and and I've enjoyed it. So we acquired uh, Andres, and and I said to him on the telephone, I said, hey. When we get the opportunity to meet face-to-face, do me a favor. Don't let me speak English. Force me to speak Spanish. Really? And he said, I got you, Poppy. 
and and we had a nice conversation and then I got down and I met him live in Peoria and I, and I walked in and I said Andres how you doing and went gave him the the elbow bump and uh, and he started speaking to me in Spanish yeah. and it, and it went quickly and I, <laughs> and I looked at him and I said how's your English and, uh, you and he said, said you told me no <laughs> you should have said cómo te sientes so then I, the you? next two days I did I did there speak to him in Spanish uh, although it was let's call it elementary but. He has, you know, by our estimation, Andres Munoz, it's it's one of the best arms in the world. If, if you were just to, to it's, it's just a great arm. He has, his arm talent is irrefutable. He, he throws up to 104 miles an hour. His average velocity was about 100. <laughs> There's a, I mean, not occasionally hitting 100. His average velocity was 100 miles an hour. And, and, uh, and he was doing that at 20 years old. And, you know, not shockingly, they're, put some stress on his elbow and he wound up requiring Tommy John. But when we were going through that trade, we were looking for what the, like, what was the, the, who was the addition in this trade that gave it the opportunity to be a grand slam? And, and, uh, and, and Andres was the name we came up with that if we are willing to gamble on the fact that players do come back from Tommy John surgery and they do, do. Uh, they do like 93% of the time. And, and when they do, they oftentimes come back with similar or even greater velocity. We're not really hoping for the greater. <laughs> Similar is going to be just <laughs> fine. We'll take, yeah. And uh, and he's got a killer slider too. And and you know he's a he's a wonderful kid. He's already throwing off the mound and okay. and well ahead in his progression. Uh, we expect that he'll be back. Let's call it mid season ish was the the target. And it's it, when you get the opportunity to acquire a twenty one now twenty one year old pitcher who throws 100 miles an hour with a wicked slider who's already appeared in the big leagues for the first time he's kind of he's made his progression that's that's what you're looking for mm. and you know and if we're able to tap into the upside that he possesses and and keep him in a healthy happy space then then we may have found an anchor man for our mm. bullpen for years to come and, and and we really feel like it's a real possibility with Andres that's why I'm so excited about the 2021 season and for many years to come, visiting with Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto. We're going to talk about those young players coming up as we get a chance to visit with Jerry here on our first edition of Hot Stove 2021. We'll be back with the Mariners GM, Jerry Depoto, right after this timeout. Say, friends, we hope to see you back at T-Mobile Park next season. When you're ready, you can attend games you want, select the seats you want, and secure the savings you want. All for when you want with the Mariners 2021 Flex Membership. Now available with no deposit required. For more information, text 21 to 71532. Back again, everybody, here on Hot Stove 2021. Rick Riz, Gary Hill, along with our special guest here in the first hour, winding down the first hour, Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. And Jerry, you have been busy a little bit during the course of the offseason. we got some new faces uh, new players on this ball club. Tell us a bit about the, the trade with the Texas Rangers. You acquire their closer, Rafael Montero. Uh, what can you tell us about Montero? Uh, Rafi, he's 30 years old. He is, over the last two years, we feel like one of the the real hidden upside guys in, in this league. He's because we were playing, he was playing in the American League West. He was coming back from uh, a Tommy John surgery of his own and was transitioning from starter to full-time reliever for the first time. It was a turbulent time for him uh, going through the Mets and and resulting in injury and and missed time with Tommy John. Surfaced with the Rangers in 2019, and once he came back to the big leagues and was transitioned to the bullpen, 
the stuff really was off the charts. Uh, it's, you know, 96, 97 was the average fastball with above average life can really sink the ball, uh, which is not common in this time of riding fastballs. So it gave us a little bit of a different look. And he has really outstanding secondary stuff, including the, the changeup, which is something not every reliever has. He throws strikes, he misses bats, and he's proven to be generally resilient since moving to the bullpen. So we targeted him early as a guy who might fit for us as a, you know, we, we were looking for players that had multiple years of control that we felt like there was still upside. There was still some, some, Mm -hmm. they they hadn't reached their apex yet who could be with us as we continue to move with this, this core of young players. And, and Montero was a guy we cited as we thought was a realistic target who we could afford to go get with our prospect capital without digging into what we thought was going to be, you know, uh, I guess the impact zone on on our young players. So we're thrilled to have him. We feel like he could do anything from be a premium setup guy to close games for us. And it just gave us a nice buoy down in the bullpen uh, as we started to, to recreate what that group looked like. We've seen the last few years it has not been an uncommon path to the big leagues or back to the big leagues for guys pitching in the KBO to come back and be really effective. Where does Chris Flexen fit? You know, Flex was it, it, maybe the most enjoyable things we did through this offseason were, you know, going and looking under the rocks mm. for guys that we really thought had a chance to be part of the long term with us. And you don't get a lot of opportunity to go out and access 26 year old free agents with the ability mm. to start uh, who have four pitches. And in Chris's case, you know, he, he was a high school draftee by the New York Mets, came through their system very quickly was called up directly from double-A to the big leagues to fill in in the, the case of an injury and never quite got the runway to go do what he needed to do. It was up and down. It was send him to triple-A, call him back to the big leagues. It was start. It was bullpen. And then ultimately they ran him out of options. And at 24 years old, 25 years old, they sent him to the KBO and, and sold his contract rights to, uh, to, to the Korean baseball organization. He went over and roughly did everything you could do to show forward movement. He threw a tick harder, not a lot. You know, average velocities somewhere in the 92, 93 range. He's going to hit as high as 95 and 96. He throws a ton of strikes. He can elevate his fastball to get misses. He can throw it down in the zone and locate to both sides. He's got both a curveball and a slider. And then he's got a changeup that has come a long, long way. We think that the... I guess the real positives for him for forward growth, his slider went from roughly an 80, 82 mile an hour pitch to an 87 to 89 mile an hour pitch, which mm. is it makes it a very different pitch. It went from slider to more cutter, uh, but a short, hard cutter that missed bats and created you know poor contact in Korea. And his curveball was always of exceptional high spin. So he could really spin a curveball, but he threw it at unusually slow speeds. So as a Mets farmhand and even in the big leagues, he threw his curveball in the, the anywhere from the high 60s to the low 70s and went over to Korea and added, you know, kept that same spin and added some velocity to it to where now, you know, from a pitching vernacular standpoint, you know, I'm going to go with a scientific term, really developed some teeth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's a four-pitch guy a who who came who went to Korea and learned. And uh, it's he comes over, he's 26 years old this year. 
He wants to be a Mariner. He fits what we're doing as a as a projection. Yeah. He's also coming off of a hundred and fifty inning season, which which makes him a very unusual uh, addition in this climate. Mm-hmm. Most of last year's best innings guys, even those who went through the postseason, threw somewhere between sixty and eighty innings. And you know, to take a pitcher from sixty to eighty to two hundred is unlikely mm-hmm. to take a pitcher from 150 and just send him out and let him make his 30 32 starts that's great and yeah. we plan on running a six-man rotation like we did last year flex fits perfectly well in what we're doing we think there's still some upside in it but more importantly we think that he grew over the course of his time in korea such that now that that opportunity that he never seemed to get in the big leagues that confidence that we talked about with kalu or with dylan moore we saw Flex develop that in, in his time in Korea, and we're excited to see what he does with it when he comes back. Looking for a bounce-back year. What can you tell us about Kenyon Middleton, who, man, when I first saw him with the Angels, Jerry, throwing 100 miles an hour, and now you got him in the bullpen. That's how we roll. We just get guys who <laughs> bouncing back off of injury and throw 100. But, you know, I, I guess in addition, we also had a Rule 5 in there, Will Vest, who, yes. you know, we picked in yeah. the Rule 5 and also throws in the upper 90s with a, with a, with a good slider and a changeup. But... Uh, you know, Keenan is a guy I've known since he was drafted. Uh, when I was the GM in Anaheim, we had uh, we, we took Keenan in the third round uh, out of a junior college in, in Oregon, which is where he's from. I think he's from Milwaukee, Oregon, and and uh, good kid. Yeah, he really is. And and in as much as I like him as a person, he is a tremendous athlete. He was a basketball star as a high schooler and went to junior college to play basketball and transitioned to baseball. And uh, I think on the day he was drafted, had fewer than 100 innings pitched in his lifetime from Little League through college. And, and, uh, you know, we took him and believed that there was upside to to the arm if we could just get him to think like a pitcher and and repetition. And lo and behold, uh, it it took him a little while to get there, but uh, he's he's hitting 100 miles an hour, average velocity even last year, uh, roughly about 97. And... Uh, and he's got a really good slider, and his changeup has come a long, long way. So, you know, this is a guy we think the the best is yet to come for Keenan Middleton. He's he's just now first time arbitration eligible as a as a super two. Uh, I think he he has four years of control left. Uh, so he just slides right into what we are trying to develop at 27 years old and and feel like the combination of his arm strength the athleticism his aptitude and, and as you will find out with key he's a lively guy you know he's yeah. he's he brings some personality to the table and yeah. and will fit so well into our environment you referenced this early on it's no secret it's been a slow moving market how do you see the market developing the next month or two and how active do you see the mariners being in the market we're still active, you know. We're checking in with with agents. We're checking in with other teams uh, as as possibilities present themselves, and we do intend to add. And, and if if we can add uh, one more arm to that bullpen, that that would be great. Mm-hmm. We are open to the possibility of adding another starter to the rotation, uh, and we're even open to the idea if the right bat, you know, particularly left-handed bat fell to us and obviously we would need that bat to be versatile uh it could be a little bit of infield could be left field some combination but just find that left-handed bat uh, that's what would be shopping for how i see that playing out over this next month or so is again it's it's mm-hmm. going to be dictated by when the market starts to break and you know there has been some action on the market and 
to this point, you know, it's been mostly surrounding the pitching. You haven't seen a whole lot of position players go off the board. But, you know, once you see some of those, the, what I would call the mid-range free agents, and you, you see it today with Robbie Grossman. You know, uh, Robbie Grossman signs today. That now you have the ability to – some water will start to flow. As it, yeah. That's what – the top of the market really doesn't break it up. You know, it, I think the, you know, the, the, the guys in, in the middle of the market who appeal to 30 clubs, mm-hmm. they generally drive the market. And it's good to see some action. Uh, I do think that we will be, you know, some form of – player on the market this next month or so but you know when it happens i I wish i could give you that timing i just know that when it happens we'll be there (laughs) jerry uh we're running out of time here in the first hour but i want to ask you uh we talked about hitting the ball and throwing the ball what about catching the ball last year and jp crawford and evan white evan in his rookie season both kids winning gold gloves last season how happy was perry hill and 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 how great was that to see these two young players put in so much work win a gold glove last year you know, it, it, I couldn't be prouder. I, it, there's, and I said this. I, I said this to uh, to Evan. I spoke to Evan, and and you know, I, I've I've been fortunate enough to be the GM of teams with rookies of the year and MVPs and all stars abound. I've never been on a team that, where we had a Gold Glover, and uh, and that that we've been with a team as a general manager that where we had a Gold Glover, and and uh, you know, to have two of them, and and better yet, one guy playing his first pole to pole season in, in mm-hmm. J P Crawford, and the other guy playing his first, first season year. above double a yeah. <laughs> it's uh you know it was remarkable to watch i think both guys were incredibly deserving and you know maybe more from a broad sense what our defense did uh, year over year how much we improved from yeah. 2019 to 2020 you know we haven't talked about much of our pitching and the phenomenal year that marco had or or i think the, the growth that we saw from justice sheffield and the, and the you know the 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 surprise of nick marjavikis and and the, right. the, the the impact of anthony mishevitz so many positive things none of them means any more to us moving forward than our defense. Yes. Our defense with Evan, with Dylan Moore, who playing every day changes our defense. J.P. Crawford, who I genuinely all year thought there can't be a better defensive shortstop in this league than J.P. right now. Kyle Seeger's steady Eddie at third base. Getting Tom Murphy back at catcher to go with Luis Torrens and ultimately Cal Raleigh. We, we feel like our defense is really solidifying. That makes your pitching better. That makes every day better. That makes you a more consistent team. And those two guys you just mentioned are going to be the anchor to that for a lot of years. Wish we had more time, buddy. <laughs> you, you are fantastic. It's, it's been a lot of fun here in the first edition of Hot Stove 2021. We'll, we'll get you back so, because we have so much to talk about. Jerry, thanks a lot for being our first guest of the year. You got it, guys. Hopefully it's a good 21 for everybody. It's going to be exciting. Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto coming up in the second hour. We're going to visit with uh, Mariners infield coach Perry Hill. Also that gold glove winner at first base Evan White along with Greg Johns we'll be back with more on Hot Stove 2021 after this timeout swing and a fly ball down the right field line at shallow a long run for White going out foul ground reaches out slides and he makes the catch holy smokes what a catch by Evan White and welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove 2021. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And this reminder right now, subscribe to the Mariners YouTube channel for unique content, highlights, live streams, and more. It's the best way to get your daily dose of Mariners baseball. Whether it's a game day or not, visit youtube.com slash Mariners to join the fun. Let's have some more fun because... Here, Gary, in the second hour of uh, Hot Stove, we have a chance to talk with a very talented young man. In his first year in the big leagues last year, his rookie season, 
He wins a gold glove at first base. One of the few players in Major League Baseball history to win a gold glove their rookie season. Talking about young first baseman Evan White. Happy New Year, kid. Uh, where are you? And are you enjoying the weather down there in Arizona? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Happy New Year to to you guys as well. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, the uh, the Arizona weather in the off seasons is definitely a little better in Ohio. So we've been able to uh, enjoy it a little bit for sure. Well, Evan, a heck of a year for you last year, winning that gold glove along with your teammate, uh, J.P. Crawford, over there at shortstop. When you heard your name announced, uh, I believe it was Cal Ripken Jr., right? It was funny because I actually, I think on the East Coast, I'm not sure if it was just our, our service that we had here or what, but I think we were a little delayed. So I, I found out by Justin Dunn giving me a FaceTime. So I didn't actually, I don't even know who said my name. I, I didn't get to see it because I was answering the call. I thought I had another minute or two. So um, found out that way, which is which is pretty funny and still pretty special, obviously, being uh, you know one of my best friends. So uh, definitely a, a really cool moment for me and my family. You know, when I think about uh, winning a gold glove, you know, I think about the World Series trophy is, you know, probably the most recognizable trophy in baseball. I think a gold glove is probably the second most recognize i mean it's a big gold glove you know exactly <laughs> what it is so what have you done with the gold glove where is it right now i've actually i haven't received it yet oh, okay. um so i think uh, i was told you know hopefully get to receive it during the season and get get presented to me then and uh, hopefully with you know with everything going on we're able to do that um but uh, my wife and i actually just got a place up in seattle as well so i think we'll we'll keep that up there with me and um that way we can have a nice little a little housewarming present for us up there so one of the other cool things about winning a gold glove, and I, I don't know how widely known this is just by the general fans out there, but you're a Rawlings glove guy, right? You use Rawlings? Yes, correct. Okay, so if you put a Rawlings glove on and you, you look at your hand, the back of your hand, and you see the red Rawlings patch on the back, well, when you win a gold glove, they make the patch gold, which is amazing. I remember a couple of years ago sitting in the dugout and yeah. just kind of staring at Kyle, Kyle Seeger's glove that was yeah. sitting there with the, the gold patch. Have have you seen what your mitt will look like uh, this coming season yet? Yeah, I know it's kind of early. We're not quite there yet. But have you seen uh, what it's going to look like yet? I, ha- I haven't been able to see what it's going to look like on it yet. I actually uh, I put the order in yesterday. Mm. Um, so I went with the same same color schemes I did last year, except for on one of the ones I ordered, I ordered a, an all black one because I think the the gold will pop a little bit with that one. Nice. So I don't know if that'll be the the gamer, or probably my backup one because I kind of like the the tan I got going now. But uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely exciting and a dream come true. And, and like you were saying, you know, growing up looking at guys' gloves and stuff like that and seeing that was, uh, you know, obviously one of the the highest honors in baseball. So for that to be um, on the back of my glove is is really special. Perry Hill had to be. So thrilled, Evan, with you winning a gold glove, Mariners infield coach. Let's talk about, you know, you coming to the big leagues, your first year in the big leagues last year, and you came as advertised. We heard about your defense. So how did you turn yourself into such a good defensive first baseman? Who was the biggest influence on you defensively? Yeah, um, well, defense really is just something I've always enjoyed. Um, I think I've mentioned to you guys before how, you know, I grew up in a baseball family and um, you know, going to the ballpark with my dad, grandparents, you know, mom, everybody, uh, was just something I really enjoyed. And, you know, my parents were awesome. If they, you know, if I asked to go out front and, you know, they'd hit tennis balls at me so I can react and, you know, throw ground balls and whatnot and, you know, go to the field and take grounders on the field as well. And they're always willing and, and able um, to help me with that stuff. And it's something I always enjoyed and something I've taken pride in. And, um, you know, once I got to Kentucky, you know, Rick Eckstein was my, my coach my first two years there and he helped out a lot offensively, but, defensively just kind of slowing the game down and, and, you know, helping me get in positions more consistently where I was able to see the ball better. And 
uh, react uh, from a defensive side, and that's just something that Bones helped me with and, and shortened my arm up as I've progressed. And uh, so a lot of work to do, and uh, you know, very thankful for the people that have helped me along the way. So you mentioned you just put in your mitt order. Do you use just a mitt a year? Do you use multiple mitts a year? How, how do you go about it? You know, I, I've so far I've been able to use just one a year, and then I'll have one as my backup. And it's funny about the All Star break halfway through the season, you start noticing a little bit. It's not as hmm. um, fresh and as as uh, tight as it once was, um, but it's something that you know I'm I got to be able to break in the back uh, backup one. I'm just fine uh, to, to be confident in case something happens. But unfortunately, I haven't had to to go to that yet. Um, you know, we'll see with with 162 coming up, and obviously I haven't played that many games before, so. Uh, hopefully I can stick with the one and, and keep that in good shape, but uh, we shall see uh, what this year has in store. Visited with Mariners first baseman Evan White, gold glove first baseman Evan White. Evan, you made the jump from double A to the big leagues last year, and that is not easy to do. That's that's tough. What was your biggest takeaway from uh, the 60-game season uh, last year of the big leagues for you? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is something I've been talking to Andy McKay about and working with him a lot is the, the mental approach and mental side of the game and how important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because before coming up to the big leagues, I've never really had much lack of confidence and, you know, getting up there and, you know, obviously the guys are, are very consistent and the catchers, they're going to see something and just keep exploiting it until you can prove that you can handle it. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, kind of not preparing as much on the mental side. I did, you know, you, you hear mental skills and how important it is, but it's like, how do I, how do I actually do it? And so that's something Andy and I have been working on a lot this off season and, you know, something the biggest part of my game. I'm I'm really excited to see the you know take a step in um, the right direction with, and um, I think that was the biggest thing is is having confidence, trusting yourself. Because you know if you you sit there and start questioning yourself, uh, now you're going to be late to start, and now it's going to look like you're yanking off everything and swinging too hard. So, uh, which I know, you know, looking back on some stuff, I definitely did this year. But it's like mentally, I was trying to be, you know, stay easy and stay through the middle of the field, and uh, I had those little subconscious thoughts. It was like, well, what if he throws this and um, kind of got in my way. So, I mean, yeah, there's some physical stuff that needs to be tweaked up a little bit, but I think the mental side is is uh, the most important thing in, uh, you know, at this this uh, level in the game. What does your offseason look like as you get ready for a full major league season? Yeah, so right now, um, before the new year, we were going in. Um, fortunately, we got, you know, a good group of guys. There's, you know, only a handful of us here, but position player-wise, it's me, JP, and, and Sam Haggerty um, down here in Peoria. And, uh, you know, before – New Year's, we were working out four times a week, doing baseball stuff about four times a week, and uh, hitting, throwing, and then we'll start doing ground balls here, um, actually tomorrow. So I'm excited to be doing that again. And you know, like I said, once once the New Year hit, we're going five times a week and stuff, and just getting getting ready to go and be as as fresh, as strong, um, as flexible as possible and stuff. And I'm just excited to to get going. Evan, last year we saw so many talented young players get to the big leagues. Uh, yourself at the top of that list uh we saw justice sheffield uh and kyle lewis the american league rookie of the year out there in center field justin dunn and and many others and then there's another wave of young players coming and another wave after that for you evan what's it like to be a part of this mariners group of talented young players that's going to form the core of a ball club that's going to get us to the playoffs Yes, it's definitely exciting. Uh, like you said, there's there's guys and guys coming, and it's it's exciting to be a part of. And um, and like you were saying, we we want to get to the playoffs, obviously, but we also we want to win it. We don't want to just do it, go there and mm-hmm. you know be satisfied with that. It's it's kind of having that mentality. And I think a lot of the guys have it, and um, I think it's really special that you know guys that that aren't there yet. I mean, have that mentality. You know, we don't want to just get there and 
uh, be content being in the big leagues or be content making it to the playoffs. Is we want to do something special, do something that hasn't been done here before. And um, I think that that definitely rubs off on other guys. So, you know, right now we let's just, just for number's sake, like let's say we have 15 guys like that. Now, you know, you're able to kind of rub off on others. Now that number can continue to grow and you can see that throughout the entire organization. So it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of and um, We're going to work our butts off until we make that a reality. What's the hardest thing about hitting at the major league level? Um, that's a great question. Um, but for me, I think the the biggest thing again was kind of just breaking down the sky reports and realizing guys have so many different pitches mm. and kind of you know getting getting caught in between because hitting is hard enough as it is, yeah. you know. Um, but when you start second guessing yourself and be like, man, this guy's got <laughs> you know seems like five six different pitches. And now you're like, okay, what if he throws this? Um, so just you know everything. The guys are able to throw different pitches, different counts, and, and they trust their stuff. And they're gonna come at you with what they think is gonna, you know, get you out. So there's no count like in the minor leagues where it's you know a three-one count. So you're getting a fastball. You know, if a guy's if it's three-one, there's a base open. He's gonna throw whatever pitch he thinks he can get you out with. And um, I think that was was one of the biggest uh, adjustments I had to make. And um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to being better because of it and and learning from it. Evan, who was uh, the the one veteran on this ball club, or maybe two or three, that helped you get through uh, last season? And you were able to do what you did. Yeah, I think Seager and D, they were, they were both awesome. Um, you know, I think Gravy and, um, and Marco did a heck of a job from the pitcher's side as well, just, you know, just helping those guys, but also just having conversations with us and, and getting to know each other because I think at the end of the day it's all about relationships and, and trusting guys on and off the field. Um, I think that's that's a huge thing and building those relationships. But um, Seager was awesome. Uh, you know, D was awesome. We just had good conversations, be able to build build relationships, and you know, uh, give each other a hard time and just have fun with it. But you know, also those guys have been there; they've been very successful. So to kind of hear their stories and and you know, realize no matter how good you are, you're going to go through struggles. Sure. Um, so to kind of kind of understand that and um, and everything was, I think, big. And uh, you know, those guys were great and, and very thankful to have them. Evan, it was fun watching you play last year, your first year in the big leagues and winning a gold glove, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do here in in 2021 along with so many young players in this organization right now. Evan, thanks a lot for being our guest. Coming up next, we're going to visit with your infield coach, Perry Hill, who had a big influence Uh on you. Evan, enjoy the rest of your offseason. I know you're working hard. Can't wait to see you at spring training, buddy. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you for having me, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Awesome. Mariners Gold Glove first baseman Evan White. Hot Stove 2021 continues. Coming up next, we're going to visit with Mariners infield coach Perry Hill, the proud palper of a couple of Gold Glove winners this year. We'll be back with Perry right after this timeout. Here's the pitch. Swinging a shot. Diving stop to his right at short. J.P. Crawford on a hop to first. Taken by White. What a play by J.P. Crawford. Robbing George Springer of a hit. Well, Hot Stove 2021 continues. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. We just visited with Mariners Gold Glove first baseman Evan White. And now we have a chance to visit with uh, Mariners infield coach Perry Hill, who had to be a proud papa last year, as I talked about when we said goodbye to Evan just a little while ago, because not one, but two Mariner players won gold gloves last year. Evan White at first base in his rookie season and also shortstop J.P. Crawford. Perry Hill, thanks for joining us here on Hot Stove uh, early, early in the uh, campaign. Uh, what did it feel like for you as the infield coach to have not one but two of your players win a gold glove last year? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Rick, Gary. I appreciate it and the time. Um, well, you know, as an organization, we're very proud. You know, they give four gold gloves on the infield, and we got half of them. And, uh, you know, just – 
Let me say this, Rick, real real quick. It's it's an organizational award. You know, I have the title of infield coach, but you know, uh, Jerry got them here. Scott puts them in a position to succeed in playing time. Scott Hunter scouted them. Jesse Smith and the analytics department, along with Manny Atkins, puts them in the right spots to make plays. Uh, Cliff and Derek uh, keep them strong and fit. Kyle and the training staff keeps them healthy so they can get on the field. Brian Stiles, Pete, and, and Billy in the clubhouse keep them comfortable and get the things they need. So there's a lot of uh, fingerprints on these gold gloves. Those two guys get the hardware, and rightly so, but there's a lot of fingerprints on these awards. You mentioned Jesse and the analytics, and I'm curious. You've been doing this for a long time at a high level, so successful, so many gold glovers along the way, but how have you used, in this age of information, how have you used the new information to help what you do? There's no doubt before I came here, I was a dinosaur and I had a fixed mindset. And since the time I've arrived in Seattle, uh, I've got a growth mindset. I'm open to a lot of new ideas. And Jesse has been a huge help to me uh, in evaluating players and what they can do, what they can't do, how they rank among others at their position around the league. Um, I used him a lot in my evaluations of our, of our players. I used him and his, his mind and his numbers and all of his staff. And, of course, they put together a really good positioning program for uh, for us, and Manny uh, does that as, as the game unfolds during the course of the game. So, I, I, to me, it's 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 really opened up my eyes. I, I really wasn't one of those guys before I got here, but I'm one of those guys now. And, Perry, watching you every day at spring training is good old-fashioned hard work, too. I mean, before these guys get on the field, field one down there in Peoria – you got them taking a baseball, throwing against a brick wall, and working on their footwork. And uh, even before they stepped uh, step their feet uh, on that on that field, one to get ready for uh, you know a practice session. Hard work. Well, there's there's oh well there's there's nothing there's nothing that beats a, a brick wall and a, and a baseball. You can really <laughs> get better. And you know my philosophy on that, Rick, is I like to to iron out any tweaks or something we need to correct before we get on the field because when we get on the field. Usually in spring training, everything's time-related, and I only have like a 20-minute or 25-minute slot for infield work, ground balls, and I don't want to have to stop a drill and correct somebody and use up my time. So we get on the, on the wall early in the day, you know, starting about 7.30, and throw the ball up against the wall, and we work on our things and iron out all the tweaks that we need to iron out. So once we get on the field, we don't waste any time. Two gold glovers on the Mariners' infield this year. You're no stranger to coaching gold glovers. There's been a number of them, uh, especially with the Marlins. Luis Castile won three gold gloves with the Marlins. Did he give you one of the gold gloves? He did. He did. He gave me one. Mike Lowell gave me his. Uh, yeah. Uh, after the uh, he won three in a row with Luis, 2003, four, and five. And uh, he gave me the first one he won, 2003. And Mike Lowell won one in 2005, and he gave me his. So it's very humbling experience. Um, you know, the thing about it is I didn't feel one ball or make one throw. But, uh, <laughs> they were gracious enough to, to, uh, to pass along the award. It, really, it was really special. But as a coach, I watch you inside that dugout. You're you're making those throws and making those plays, buddy. You, you, you're you're making those plays. You're an old shortstop, you know you're, yourself. But uh, and you're also very well. Humble. You know, it, it, there's a, there's no secret. If you know me, I uh, kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve, and I'm not the quietest guy in the world, am I, Rick? 
No, no. I, I love watching you work, and I love your passion for the game and helping out these kids, and they're so lucky to have you and this entire coaching staff working with these young players because, uh, you know, they are really going to take off again uh, this year. Dylan Moore at second base. He played all over the place, uh, Perry, in 2019 and again last year. Looks like he may find himself a home at second base. Where do you start with Dylan Moore? Well, uh, you know, my job is whoever Gary and Scott decide who's going to play where, it's my job after that to get them prepared to play to the best of their abilities. And if, uh, if Dylan Moore is going to be at second base, you know, it's going to be, uh, he's, a, he's an athlete. He can play all over the field, as we all know. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we really want to have to work on and stress. If you think about it, uh, Rick and Gary, he's a natural shortstop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's his uh, natural position. And you got to look at that, that side of the field. Every play you make is in front of you. Everything. The double play feeds, throwing the first, a slow roller, turning the double play. Everything is in front of you. But when you switch over to the other side of the diamond on second base, half of what you do is away from where you want to go. Like the second baseman turning a double play, he's got to run away from first base to get set up before he throws back. Uh, ground ball to his left, he's got to catch it, turn around, and throw it to second You know, for the start of the double play. So a lot of the things that, they do, that happens on the second base side is really different to a natural-born shortstop. So uh, – you know, we got we got a little work to do, but he's such a tremendous athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there won't be any problems whatsoever. We were just talking to Jerry, and along those lines, he was talking about you specifically working with Ty France, who it sounds like we'll see a little at third, a little at second. You know, some DH along the ways. Uh, when you go about working with a player, really for the first time, this will be the first time you've had a chance to work with him. Where do you start? Where does it all begin? Well, I, I just kind of watch them for, you know, five or six days and, and see what they do and if, if there's any way that I can help them or, or tweak them. Um, but, you know, so the first, you know, three or four days uh, of camp, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of be all eyes and seeing what I see. But I've talked to Ty extensively throughout the winter, and uh, and we've, uh, we're basically on the same page, and, and he knows he's got some things with this, with this footwork that he needs to straighten out. So I don't think that I'll have to watch as long as I usually would because he's all in. That he knows he needs to do some things with his feet. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a couple of days' worth of looks, and then I think we'll, we'll go to work from there. And he's another guy, too, uh, Rick and Gary, that, you know, he's been a third baseman naturally all his life. So, once again, everything is in front of him. And so when he, when he, the days he does play second base, we got to get him used to going away from his target a lot, as I mentioned with uh, Dylan Moore. Perry, I've asked many, many players, you know, what players help you, you know, get better? What players do you watch to help get better? As, as you're, you've been so successful as a coach, what coaches have helped you become a better coach? Oh, wow. Uh, Manny Active for one, Scott Service for another, uh, Buddy Bell. And Toby Hara, those are the nice guys that right uh, uh, that I've that I've looked up to. You know, Buddy uh, helped me early in my career, uh, very instrumental in in getting my name in the forefront. Toby Hara gave me my first big league job uh, because he believed in me. Uh, I knew Manny. I've known Manny for years. Uh, when I left the, the Expos to go to the Marlins, Manny took my spot in in Montreal, and so we've had a connection ever since. And I, and I've learned so much from Annie. Uh, there's no secret. 
fella is that I'm one-dimensional. Don't ask me about base running or hitting, or I'll really mess you up. But I've learned so much from, from, from Scott and Mandy about the total game. And I think I'm a better coach and a better baseball person because I've been around them every day the last couple of years. So this may be an impossible question, but you're a defensive guru. I mean, you've, you've coached Gold Glovers. You, you've coached an all-star team. You've won a World Series. Who is the greatest infield defender you have seen in your career? Oh, mercy. You're going to do this to me? <laughs> I told you it would be an impossible uh, uh, question. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, well, growing up, it was Brooks Robinson and Mark Belanger. Mm, yeah. Uh, that, I've, that I've seen on the field. Uh, probably Omar Vizquel was one. Uh let me see here. Roberto Alomar was another one. Mm. You know, Evan White's going to be on this list at some point in time. Uh, I can't really name him. He only played one year. I had a first baseman in uh, Miami that was very athletic, Derek Lee. He was really, really mm-hmm. good. He saved a World Series game for us uh, with his defense. Travis Fryman comes to mind. Kyle Seeger comes to mind. J.P. Crawford's going to be on that list very shortly. So uh, There's been a lot of them. I really can't narrow it down to down to one. Perry, when, when you get your hands on, on a young player, and obviously he's got talent, otherwise he wouldn't be in a big league camp at spring training or on a major league roster, what is it inside that uh, a young player has to take to the next level to be a good defensive player? Everybody wants to hit the ball and hit the ball out of the ballpark and, and strike everybody out and throw 100 miles an hour, but what is it about the defensive side of the game that a player needs to have inside him to be better? First of all, to be a good offensive player, you remember you're going to be unsuccessful seven out of ten times. Mm-hmm. And at a lot of times, you know, things just don't go your way. But on the defensive side, you can make a difference in the game, just like on the defensive side and the base running side. You know, you, don't, you may not get a hit or drive in a key run or something, but you can go out in the field and make a play to save a run, which I call a defensive RBI. You saved a run from scoring, so that's just like knocking one in, in my opinion. So I think the player has to have a drive to be able to want the ball hit to him every single time because he knows that the team will be successful because he'll catch the ball and throw it straight and will convert it to an out. I think the guys that want the ball hit to them all the time is, is, is a, a best trait an infielder can have. And because what they also have to realize is just what I mentioned earlier. They're not going to get ahead every time up. They're not going to drive every run in from third. Mm-hmm. But they can certainly go out in the field and prevent runs. Visiting with Mariners infield coach Perry Hill that has done a great job with this organization, especially these young players. The game has really changed. The look of the game has changed defensively because of defensive shifts, uh, Perry. The third baseman is now playing shortstop. Uh, the second baseman is now out there in shallow right field, feeling ground balls off the grass. Uh, the shortstop uh, is on the other side of the bag at second base. How do you go about working with these guys defensively now with so many defensive shifts, and how has that uh, maybe changed the way that uh, you teach, uh, you know, fielding a ground ball and throwing it from different positions? It's a good question, right? Very good question. And, and that is mixed in our ground ball routine that we do every day. Not only do we take the regular ground balls and throw to first and turn the regular double plays, but we feel ground balls and turn double plays out of the shift too, almost every single day. Mm-hmm. And it's a point that I talked about earlier is that when we're in a shift, 
Uh, the second baseman has a longer throw than he normally would. Mm-hmm. The shortstop is now on the other side of the base. Now he has to go away from first base to turn a double play, so there's work to be done there. The third baseman usually has longer throws to first and a longer throw for a double play. He's got to learn when to toss the ball, how to throw the ball uphill on a double play. Uh, so there's a lot of things that, that have to be worked on uh, when you're in a shift. It's just not like throw people over there and play the game. There's a lot of work that goes uh, into perfecting all this before the game starts. Perry, you've done a fantastic job with this ball club and these young players and the veteran guys as well. I, we can't wait to see you at spring training here in 2021. We want to thank you for being a guest here on our first edition of Hot Stove 2021. And uh, Happy New Year, buddy. Thank you for being our guest tonight. My pleasure, Rick and Gary. Thank you. Happy New Year. Hope to see everybody out this year. I hope we have fans. Can't wait. Perry Hill, Mariners infield coach. And uh, coming up next, we're going to visit with a guy that's covered baseball for many, many years. He's calling it quits after covering the Mariners in Major League Baseball. Greg Johns from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. We'll be back with Greg as Hot Stove continues after these messages. And welcome back to Hot Stove 2021. Uh, We've got a very special guest, Gary, here. Uh, coming up here in the next uh, few minutes. Uh, he has covered baseball for many, many years, most recently for MajorLeagueBaseball.com. Uh, he worked so hard at his craft, and now he's called it quits after all these years covering the Mariners in Major League Baseball. Greg Johns is our guest. Greg, how you doing, buddy? I, I am good, uh, Rick. I, I'm not working, so I, you know what could be better? <laughs> <laughs> well, ha- well, Happy New Year, and after all these years of going out to a ballpark and staying late in the press box and knocking out story after story after story and and the millions and millions of interviews and phone calls. Uh, how did you know that this was the right time to say thank you very much and uh, I'll leave it for somebody else to do? Well, there comes a point in life, uh, Rick, and you obviously haven't hit it yet. Uh, I'm getting there. You just go... <laughs> you start thinking, you start thinking, where's the end line? How long do I want to do this? And uh, I, I was in sports writer for 41 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to tell you, it was a good, it was a great run. Uh, I couldn't have imagined a better career. I remember when I started out, I, I just wanted to have something that was, I wanted to do a job that I enjoyed and, and was fun and was involved with something that interested me. And, and I liked to write and I like sports. And uh, so I guess I made the right choice. I was writing about sports for 41 years and, uh, and as we got uh, got down to this point, and uh, I, I thought this is a good time. Uh, this is a, a weird last year, uh, the, the COVID thing and, and the, the lack of clubhouse access, and it was kind of weird time. Uh, I, I just uh, time was right. I, I got grandkids now. I got I got people in, in life that I want to live, and, and still some tread on the tires. So uh, so here I am. I'm, I, I took the exit, and uh, and we'll see where we go from here. This has got to be an impossible question, but you've seen so much and been a part of uh, so many great stories along the way. But what are the story or two that really stick out, uh, kind of the amazing moments that you got to witness? Uh, uh, on, the, on the field, I always flash back uh, to, uh, <laughs> to 2001, right after, right after 9-11, and, and when the mayors clenched and were, were carrying the, the flag around the infield, I, I can't imagine a, a more emotional moment that, that I can recall just being in the stadium in those days. And, and uh, I was in New York uh, that year, uh, you know, right after 9-11 when the, when the Mariners played the Yankees in that series, such an emotional time. And, and that was 
you know, on the field, those were the, those were the great games, but you know, off the field, I got to tell you that the thing that I think I'll always treasure uh, in my career was the opportunity to, to, to be in Ken Griffey Jr.'s house when he got the call from Cooperstown. And uh, it, was, it was me and one other writer that were there with Kenny in his house. And frankly, just going to Ken Griffey Jr.'s house was, was probably a thrill of a lifetime, but, yeah. but to be there when, when Cooperstown called and, and to be there and, and, uh, and share that. And then uh, <laughs> sat at his kitchen table, his, uh, his living his kind of dining room table and, and wrote the story after, after he got the call. And, and uh, what a thrill that was to just kind of be there and be a part of that. Greg, this kind of parallels the, the same idea because you've been a, such a part of uh, Mariners baseball for many years and the game itself. And again, another tough question. What was your most memorable interview? Wow. Well, that's tough questions. I'm, I'm supposed to be retired. <laughs> I don't have to think retired. So <laughs> the most memorable person that I ever met was Muhammad Ali. Uh, wow. And, and the chance to, to meet him, shake his hand and, and uh, uh, you know, I look back on that. Uh, that was a pretty amazing moment. Um, you know, when you're growing up, you just don't imagine yourself in those kind of situations. Um, the, the chance to talk to, you know, the, the pro athletes is, is great. But I, I was flashed back to the, the, one of the favorite stories that I ever did was back when I was at Seattle PI. Uh, favorite because it's meant so much to me over the years. But, but it was a chance when, uh, when, I, when Jake Locker was a freshman in college and, and he had a Make-A-Wish kid from, from Bellingham that was uh, – had a had a, a brain tumor and as a six year old kid and his goal was to meet Jake Locker. And I remember going and doing that and hanging out with Jake and that, that Kyle, uh, young Kyle, and spent the day with them and, and it turned into such a more than just a, a day because it was, Jake Locker played his first game and, and uh, after I wrote that story, uh, he looked up to Kyle in the stands after he scored his first touchdown and pointed to him. You know those kind of moments. You know and, and I kept track of Jake and and Kyle and his family for. After that, and young Kyle ended up passing away two years later. But I got a, a note from his mom just the other day after I after I retired, and, and uh, you know brought back those memories. And it's kind of those people, you know, you can't you can't imagine uh, you know, touching people's lives, but but the fact that she kept that in her heart and got a hold of me all these years later, you know, just means the world to me. But you know, those those are the kind of things that I treasure. You know, I mean, I've had an incredible fortune being in in locker rooms and clubhouses and, and talking to pro athletes and, and college kids and everything else. Uh, but, you know, really the, the people behind all those stories is, is really, you know, I, I mean, it sounds corny, but that, that's what I remember with the people. So speaking of being in the clubhouse, and this is a story I've heard you tell, and it is so funny. Uh, you got to tell the Miguel Olivo <laughs> uh, yeah. towel <laughs> defense and towel story. <laughs> <laughs> This is Shannon Dreher's favorite story. It's the uh, best. It still That's why. Her up. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I'm walking. To, we're in the clubhouse. It was in Oakland, and uh, Miguel Olivo was the catcher at the time. I'm talking with Miguel, and I don't even remember how this happened. But the next thing I know, he's he's telling me how you can defend yourself with a towel. You can practice self-defense with a towel. I mean, you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> and next thing I know, he's got the towel wrapped around my neck. And, and applying a chokehold with this towel, and I'm like, I, I'm, I, I'm facing him. I got to tell you, I mean, I'm an average size dude, and I'm big, not small. And, I, and I, I'm looking at Miguel. And this guy's like a brick house, and I, yeah. you know, I can't get this guy off me. I, I could hit him as hard as I could. You know, he's not even going to feel it. And, uh, and I finally convinced him that Miguel, I don't, I, I understand. I, I, you can defend yourself with a towel. I don't, I don't need to know this. <laughs> I get it. I can't. <laughs> 
Wow. He relented. I walked away still breathing, but uh, yeah, it's, it's the kind of funny things the relationships you have with guys. And uh, he was a character I always enjoyed, Miguel. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's go back uh, a bunch of semesters uh, visiting with Greg Johns, who covered baseball for many years. I wanted to be the next Louis Aparicio, and that didn't work out. I found out that in, in college, but I, I'm living my dream. You lived your dream. Gary's living his dream. How did it all start for you to get into this wonderful business of uh, covering baseball through print? Well, I was uh, grew up in Bothell. Uh, I went to Bothell High School, and, and uh, it was pretty clear about the time I was a senior in high school that, that, that the athletic career wasn't going to go too far. <laughs> like I said, I, I, I do like to uh, – I, I did love sports, and I did love to write, and, uh, and it's, it was a pretty easy combination. Senior in high school, I remember I had a project uh, some teacher said, I can't remember what the project was, but the, the end result was that I went and I talked to George Myers, who was the uh, sports editor at columnist at the time of the Seattle Times. I went down and sat with him when I was just a high school kid and, uh, and picked his brain. So I guess at that point, I was kind of already deciding that's where I wanted to head. So I went to college over at Washington State and, and got into journalism and, and just landed newspaper jobs from there. And, and Kind of working covering high school stuff when I got out and, and uh, got a job with the, uh, the old Bellevue Journal American covering the Seahawks in 1987. Went back into Chuck Knox, Steve Largent days. Yeah. And that was my first first pro beat. I covered the Seahawks for quite a while for them and became a sports columnist and, and worked at, at different papers. Worked at Seattle PI and back when they folded and was fortunate enough that, uh, that the MLB dot com job opened up shortly after that and, uh, and I replaced Jim Street who'd been doing that job and. Uh, I got on that for the last decade. So uh, it just kind of jobs just kept coming. I, I think I closed down three newspapers that are no longer in existence. But, uh, <laughs> but MLB, MLB is still in business. I haven't put, didn't, never put MLB out of business. So I think they're okay. Okay, so I have uh, several lightning round questions. Are you ready? This, these are interesting and I think probably really not. good for the listeners as a well-traveled person. So are you ready for this? <laughs> probably not. Okay, here your, we go. Your favorite American League city? My favorite American League city? Stadium is, is Minnesota. I love Target Field. Uh, it's just it's a city, I guess, Boston. I, I always enjoy going to Boston. Yeah. And, of course, Fenway is cool, too. But uh, just, yeah, I'll say Boston. That's a city if you're just talking about a city. Okay. Any favorite ballpark, Minnesota? That's a good one. Uh, yeah, if you're talking American League. Uh, yeah. If you're going National League, i got to go different. But uh, Oh, yeah. Tell, league, us, go tell us your favorite ballpark. San Diego, Petco Park in San Diego. I can't, I can't think of a better place to visit. And yeah. just, just to stand on the waterfront down there and you're walking distance to the park. And Absolutely. anybody, if you just want to go to a city and a ballpark and a nice place, uh, San Diego, you can't beat. Your favorite airport. And I, this is a relevant question for a guy who flew as often as you did. Your favorite airport. I don't have one. What? Um, <laughs> you know what? Tampa. Uh, I fell in love with it because there's a Marriott inside the airport. Uh, and on, on getaway day, I, I would go stay at the Marriott in the airport. And then you could wake up, you know, your, your flight out the next morning might be at, at 6 a.m. And you could you literally get up in your hotel room, take, take the elevator down, walk out on the concourse, and you're at your gate. So uh, that was a fantastic – every airport should have a, a Marriott inside the airport. <laughs> wow. totally great. That's <laughs> yeah. a good one. Who's the greatest player you've ever covered? The greatest player would have to be Ken Griffey Jr. Mm. How many airline miles do you think you flew during the course of your career? <laughs> <laughs> to the moon and back. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know, but you know what? Not very many last year. Uh, this last yeah, season, my my yeah. uh, my mileage, my uh, my uh, Marriott points and my airline miles kind of dried up because we weren't we weren't traveling. So you know, it, it was a tough way to go out. I didn't I didn't I didn't should have saved up more of my airline miles, but probably too many would be my answer. Um, uh, one thing I, I I will miss traveling in a way, but but uh, I really won't miss the airports and crowded flights and everything else. And, uh, and you know what? I haven't flown since last spring training. When I came back, uh, COVID hit and we shut down down in Peoria and I got on a plane, came back to Phoenix. And it's crazy to think I haven't been back on a plane since. So uh, such, a, such a weird year to end on. Well, Greg, we're going to miss you. I mean, you're one of the handful of people that we see every single day for like seven months in a row. And uh, we're just going to miss seeing you in the clubhouse and having you around. And hopefully from time to time, you'll still check in with us. I would, uh, I would hope so too. Um, I, I'm assuming, you know, once I get done with this interview, nobody cares what I, what I think anymore. I understand that's <laughs> part of retirement. So I appreciate you guys checking in with me one last time just to make me feel good. Uh, but I, I really will miss, you know, it is the people and, and, uh, and hanging around with you guys. I travel on the road and get to, get to know guys and, and spend time and hanging around. How many hours do you know, would we spend in a clubhouse? Over the course <laughs> just of standing time? around. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> waiting for them. Talking to one another while we were waiting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I told my wife, I said, it's going to be pretty, pretty crazy now, you know, watch a ball game, turn off the TV and, 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 and go to bed now. And, That's and it. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to knock out an article. <laughs> no deadline. You don't have to get an interview. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you did it fantastically for 41 years. What a career, Greg. Uh, I want to thank you personally, as does Gary and everybody up here in the broadcast booth and down in uh, press row uh, for uh, not only the great writer you've been, but also the outstanding person uh, you have been to me. Uh, it, it's It's been so much fun standing around talking baseball, talking about life. And you did it well for many, many years, buddy. We're going to miss you. Greg, thank you very much. Enjoy yeah. retirement because you deserve it. Thank you very much. It means the world to me, so appreciate it, you guys. All right. Greg Johns from the MajorLeagueBaseball.com calling it quits after 41 fantastic seasons. Coming up next, we're going to visit with our friend Shannon Dreher as we wind down our first edition of Hot Stove 2021. We'll be back with Shannon after this. Well, winding down the second hour of our first edition of Hot Stove 2021, Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and our very special guest, and we work with her every day during the baseball season. She does a tremendous job on the pregame show, the postgame show, everything baseball. Shannon Dreher joins us. Shannon, how you doing? Happy New Year, and uh, what's what do you got bacon? Because I know you're one heck of a cook. <laughs> well... For Christmas, I got one of those big marble baking slabs or pastry slabs. So all of a sudden, everything is uh, much better. A lot of breads, some of the sweets, the blondie brownies, of course. And I know, I know that I owe you a chocolate babka. So that's on the list yes. as well. Oh, that sounds great, Shannon. Thank you so much. Uh, besides baking, uh, you know, following the ball club and getting ready for spring training, uh, what are your thoughts about uh well, let's go back to last year, 2020. What stands out about last year, putting together a baseball season during a pandemic and, and accomplishing, I think, quite a bit last year with uh, the young players? Well, I think 
exactly know what they did on the field. And uh, I think that the thing that probably gets missed the most is, and this was such a challenge for everybody involved, but uh, I think such a triumph that it was, uh, we were all able to pull it off. Everybody, you know, from baseball to us a little bit behind the scenes and the broadcast and the challenges that were there. But one of the neatest things was uh, just, trying and I think succeeding in a lot of ways to get to know this new team. There was so much new on the team and there were the challenges that we couldn't be down in the clubhouse. But yeah. I think that we saw enough from our perch up in the press box and, and the zoom calls to, to really kind of get a feel for who this group is and what I walked away from at the end of the season. And actually while it was going on was darn, I wish we could have spent more time with them in person. I can't wait to have that opportunity and, and to get to know them a little bit and in turn bring that to all of the listeners and all of the readers. It, it, it's a great group. And uh, they were, also generous with the the time that they gave us uh, on the calls and, and kind of going more into depth than I think they ever have. I think at times they were bored and they perhaps mm. even missed us a little bit and wanted to talk more. <laughs> but to me, I, I think that that was something that perhaps gets missed and just who these guys are. And it was a group that I just was left with wanting more, not just from what we saw in the field, but from what we saw uh, on the Zooms. Yeah, we had talked to Evan White earlier today, and that's it's spot on. I mean, he's so fun to talk to. Uh, uh, what else are you thinking as we move through what is still a very unusual offseason and still some unanswered questions as we move closer to spring training? Uh, what what kind of, when you think about the Mariners this offseason, what are you most interested in as we move through this offseason? Well, I think the further we got away from the season, I think we all felt very good about what we saw mm -hmm. in, in context of what they were trying to do. And I think there was a big surprise that they accomplished as much as they did in 60 games. And, you know, that was getting guys experience and learning about them. But as we got further away from that, I think we all kind of realized, yeah, we need to see a little bit more. It was a good sample in some regards, but not enough in others. And, you know, so for me, I, I kind of look at probably, and I, I think this is kind of the direction they're going in. There will be some extra help. We've already seen it with the bullpen, but they need to find out more. And I think that first half of the season is going to be about finding out more, seeing where you're at. And if they see what they want to see and are hoping to see, I think we see a second half of the season that is very different and that could include moves that are made at the trade deadline so I, I kind of look at going into this season as almost a continuation of last season as far as that development goes but uh, I think you know you've heard from everybody involved they're very pleased with what they saw it's hard not to be but I want to see a little bit more and I want to see a little bit more of the day in and the day out I think they're on the right track but I think we need I think there's still some unanswered questions almost across the board. Well, Shannon, I know 2020 season has been uh, kind of an interesting year for everybody. I know you've been busy baking banana bread, and I know you got the ciabatta rolls, you know, getting ready to go. <laughs> but I can't wait to see you here in the booth and at the ballpark and down at spring training, get our lives back to normal again as soon as possible, and fans in the stands, and uh, get back to baseball. You do an incredible job uh, covering this ball club on a daily basis. We just want to say Happy New Year. Thanks a lot for joining us here in the first edition of Hot Stove 2021. Hey, I think there's no question we are getting there. You're kind of feeling getting around the curve right now yeah. in January. So, of course, you're thinking of baseball, which is the way it should be. Great to talk to you guys. Shannon, thank you so much. Gary, what a show. Great yeah, this job, was buddy. Jerry DePoto and Perry and running. Evan White <laughs> and Greg Johns. And uh, cap it off with uh, Shannon Dreher is a, 
a great time talking baseball, and now I'm ready to uh, get down to spring training, hopefully uh, here in the next uh, few weeks or As so. As we watch the rain fall here at <laughs> T-Mobile Park. <laughs> Gary, great show. This is fun. Thanks, Rick. You're welcome. Hot Stove 2021, our first edition. with uh, We started off with uh, Jerry DePoto, as we mentioned, our other special guests as well. Tune in next week for the second edition of Hot Stove 2021 right here on this station. For Gary Hill and all our guests tonight, I'm Rick Riz saying so long, everybody. Thank you for the visit.